Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Good evening. Today at lunch, I was leaving to go get uh, coffee and to study some more of my notes, and uh, David Estep so kindly reminded me that I was the only thing standing between you and food this evening. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how, how our lesson progresses and how quickly I can get you out this evening. So one thing about preachers is that we're always looking for an analogy. We're always looking for an illustration of some sort. So if you have a conversation with a preacher or you see him in an interaction of some sort, there's likely going to be an illustration that comes from it at some point. I was recently having a discussion with a few friends about uh, whether we would bail someone out, bail out a loved one if they were in jail. And it was batting back and forth on how much you would question the person on what they did and whether they deserved to be in jail, whether they deserved to have their bail posted for them and to be freed from their brief, hopefully brief, imprisonment. Went back and forth, and the further we went into that conversation, the more parabolic it became to me on discussing whether someone was worthy of being bailed out of prison. And it took me to when Jesus bailed us out. No, Jesus came to bail us out without any conditions. He came to pay the price to post our bail without any conditions at all. He did not come to question. He did not come with hesitation. He came to post the bell for all of mankind without question or hesitation. In Hebrews 2 and verse 9, you see that he tasted of death for all of mankind. He posted the bell. He paid the ransom price for all of mankind without question. Without question, without condition, he posted bell for us so that we would have the opportunity to get out of prison. God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and verse 8. We were in a condition, a state where we could not offer anything back to him. We were in a place where we were separated from God and our sin. We could not offer anything back to him at all. And he came without any reservation to post our bail and to, to pay it for us. As a result of God's love, without any question, Jesus died for us. That was the payment for us. That was the posting of our bail. Now, for us to be able to walk out of prison, there is a, another part of that uh, transaction. I don't like that word, but the, the purchase agreement maybe is better. Of us agreeing to follow Jesus out of that jail cell out of that prison. We, are, we agree to follow him, to become a disciple of his. God qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, Colossians 1 and verse 12. He transferred us from the domain of darkness and into his son's kingdom. That is the full transaction, the full purchase agreement there of our freedom. Jesus paid the price for our bail with his blood, and only requests us to follow after us, and the Father sets us free. This sermon is to piggyback off of uh, Mike's lessons uh, last Sunday on what freedom is for the Christian. And this lesson is to 
capitalize on that and to show that there should be evidence of our freedom. And it goes along well with what uh, Brother Jack uh, spoke on this morning as well. When the Father sets us free, we are free indeed. Now, for example, I'm taken back to the account of the prodigal son. He betrayed his father. He asked for his monetary inheritance, and he ran off into the far-off country, and he decided to embrace and pursue whatever sins he so inclined. And he came back to his father. He came back sorrowful and penitent for the, the actions that he had committed. The father did not question what he had done. The father did not have any challenges of whether he was worthy to come back. He restored his son to full sonship. It was full restoration of sonship. And he freed him, the father freed him of his past, freed him of any obligated guilt. He welcomed him back into his home, into his kingdom, into his protection, and into his love, free from his past and free from any obligated guilt of it. He said, you are welcome home, my son, and I love you. The Father set him free indeed. Now, if you want to, go ahead and turn over to Galatians chapter 5. We'll keep talking for a minute, but I want you to go ahead and have your Bibles there. I sometimes wonder if some people don't prefer being imprisoned. If there aren't people in the world who they've gotten so accustomed to their actions, they've gotten so accustomed to getting in trouble and uh, certain paths that they've been living in, it's, it's their, their comfort zone. It, being in prison ends up somehow being their comfort zone. They've had repeat offenses. They've ended up there and that's just, they're happy there. They're, they're content there and there's, they're not responsible for anything there for the most part. They're not responsible to anyone so long as they follow the rules there. It's just, it's a comfort for them. I don't really follow that line of thinking because I haven't been there, but it seems like some people prefer or will chase after being imprisoned. And some Christians seem to carry this disposition in their own way. This prison, this spiritual prison that uh, we're referencing and that we'll keep referencing here, it is the chains that the devil has locked us up, locked us to this world. And when, before we became a Christian, we were chained to this world, enslaved to it, as the devil would have us to be. Now, I would submit that a sign, a stark sign that we need spiritual examination, that we need spiritual growth, is if we ever utter the words, oh, that's just who I am. How many times have you heard a Christian say that? That you've seen someone get angry, that you've seen someone get overly impatient, and you point it out to them, and that's just who I am. Allowing ourselves to justify and embrace the behaviors of this world is not only not being a disciple of Jesus, but it's going so far as to say, I would prefer to be in the state I was in before Jesus led me out of captivity. 
I would prefer to be in the state that I did not have to be responsible to Jesus, that I didn't have to change anything. I, I was comfortable in who I was, and I just I did what felt right to me. Not only do I not want to follow Jesus and what he tells me to do, but I wish I could go back to, I long to be imprisoned again to what the world allowed me to do. Galatians 5 and verse 1. It says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not be subject again to the, slave, uh, to the yoke of slavery. We were enslaved to this world. The, this vapor of life that we have, it, it was all that we had. We were literally chained to this world that we see, the things that we can see, feel, touch, hear, the temporary that we see right in front of us. We were chained to this world. The simplicity of our inclinations was of the highest value to us because that allowed us to say, that's just who I am. People had to adjust to who you are. They had to, that's just your personality. How you have a short temper, you get angry, uh, you enjoy just in, throwing in those obscene languages into how you talk. That's just who I am. People had to get used to it because that's just who you are. If they don't like it, then they don't have to be around you, I suppose. So long as you stayed in prison, so long as you chose not to follow after Jesus, you may have lived up to an advanced age, 90 plus years in uh, the terms of uh, life expectancy now. You may live to an advanced age. But if you die while imprisoned to this world, to the devil, he's one. He's one with your soul. If you became a Christian and you decided you wanted to go back to your imprisoned self, that you wanted to allow your own inclinations to be in control, you decided you wanted to forfeit your freedom, the devil has won with you again. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. There's emphasis there. There was for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom from this world. He set us free from the chains of it to understand that there is more than what we can see. There is more than what we can hear and feel and understand with our eyes and our ears. There is so much more. What you face in this world is not all that there is for the Christian. He set us free from the pressures that this world can uh, throw at us. The temptations that we face, the pressures to not be like Jesus, to embrace our old self, to embrace subject inclinations of who we should be in our own desires. It's a life of misery. It's a life of misery to be subject to the temporary. And he set us free from that. When you were released from prison, the Father set you free from the entirety of your past and from any obligation to guilt of it. For Jesus carried your guilt far away from you. And the contract you agreed upon when you were set free from prison was that you were willing to become a disciple of Jesus. That means you are going to continually 
And in a growing way, you're going to speak more like Jesus. You're going to act more like Jesus. You're going to look and have a presence more like Jesus as you go through your life. That was your agreement when he set you free from the prison of sin. And some of the most gloomy and the most unbecomingly behaved people I've ever met have been Christians. And it baffles me every time. This salvation we have in our hands, this freedom from being imprisoned to the temporary, to you realize that anybody in here who has faced a, an extreme degree of sickness, who has watched a family member just endure an illness to, to their death's end. To anyone who has been just burdened with sin, with a spiritual heaviness, have emotional trauma, do you realize, do you appreciate that this is not all? There is so much more beyond this is not the end for the Christian. We have so much more because of life abundant. Because of what Jesus offers us, there is so much more. We have this salvation, this freedom in our hands, and yet some Christians unapologetically long for the imprisoned version of themselves. You know, when we were purchased and released from prison, both being purchased and being released from sin, when Jesus paid our ransom price and when we agreed to the purchase contract of saying, I'm willing to follow after Jesus, uh, follow after you, my Lord. You're paying the price for me, so I'm willing to follow you in return. When we agreed to that and we were let free from prison, the Holy Spirit began to have influence over our lives. And we're going to see that here. We're going to look at that here in Galatians chapter 5. We could debate to a degree on how the Spirit indwells a Christian, if you'd like to have that conversation at some point. We could debate to a degree over that. But I won't debate over the fact that He does indwell the Christian in some capacity, because that is biblical fact. There is too much proof that He is involved and interactive in the salvation of the Christian. When we have been gifted with the Holy Spirit upon our salvation, Acts 2 and verse 38, when we are baptized for the remission of our sins, we're repenting of our sins, we're baptized for the remission of our sins, the Spirit has influence over our lives. Now, look at, uh, let's see, Galatians 5, 16 through 18 with me. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. A few years ago, I was uh, talking with a mentor of mine. Uh, she was like a, a second mother to me within the church growing up. And we were discussing the, the contrast between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the law of Moses and between uh, the law that Jesus came, the, the law of grace that uh, came with him. How many hundreds of do's and don'ts do we have in the Old Testament? 
It's an ongoing, never-ending list of do this, don't do this in specifics. Now, in the New Testament, we absolutely, without a doubt, have those of uh, God's specific, very clear specific commands for us and uh, concerning our salvation, concerning how we worship, and so much more. Very clear specifics that I'm not saying we, we don't have those. But there is so much to the New Testament that you can see God expected a progression of mankind in how we approach His will and how we understand and how we implement it. There is a degree to which He expects us to have some critical thinking, to where He expects us to be able to study His Word, to study His will, and to be able to implement it. You look here in what we have coming up here that Paul wrote for us. What we have is actions versus qualities. We have actions within the deeds of the flesh. You have uh, things like uh, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Those are things like actions. Those are things we do that come out of us. If you look on where we're going to spend our time, in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, all of those are qualities. They can, they can be actions, but the fruit of the Spirit, those are qualities. Those are innate qualities of who we are. We don't have specifics on how to implement these. There is, there are, is an understanding of what God expects for us, but we don't have specifics on how all these are implemented because they are... It is a byproduct of our faithfulness to God and how we are going to implement His will in an accurate understanding of His will through our unique life. Let's look at some of that. In the first one we show here, we're going to look at these conceptually, but a few of these will we'll break down a little bit. Love. We are commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that? That's the greatest command and the second likened unto the first. The greatest commands to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. There, there are no specifics on how that's done because the point is to study the life of Jesus and you are willing to implement his life, his heart through you in your unique life. To love the Lord your God with all you have. That's the command. You, know, you have talents and abilities that I don't have. I may have some that you don't have. We are to love our God with all of who we are with all of my mental capacity, all of my intelligence, all of what I have gained of wisdom over the years, my abilities with all my strength, everything I have to offer from within myself, from who I am as a unique individual, I am to love my God with all of that. And you are to do the same. That is how you love the Lord your God with all you have. It is different than how you love, than how I would love God completely. Now we come to the same understanding on what he expects for us. We can see his standard, his will on how to be faithful to him, what that looks like. That part's not up for debate on how we love him. 
but in what we are able to offer up and express our love to him, that may have some variation to it. How you love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that sentence alone that I don't know if we, we think about the exact wording enough. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor's not my neighbor. Mine is not yours. You love the person beside of you. And you, can you love every person the same? If you are to love your neighbor as yourself, you are, you are to love them how God needs you to love them, you are going to have to learn that person. You're going to have to sit down beside of them and you're going to have to look at life from their perspective. You're going to have to sit down with them and understand what their needs are. You're going to have to sit down with them and understand what their struggles are. You're going to have to sit down with them and understand what encouragement their life needs. And you love that person. You have, each of you, know people and come in contact with people that I will never come in contact with. That is true for every one of us in this room right now. It is your responsibility, it is my responsibility that we love our neighbors as Jesus needs us to love them. That takes the ability to critically think about what God's will is. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's here's the command. I need you to love your God with all you have. I need you to love your neighbor as yourself. Now you figure out how to do that faithfully to your God within your life. You look on, we'll look at a few of these grouped together, joy and peace. You, you can't really separate those. You can look at them individually. You can try to parse them apart some, but those two intertwined are... They, they make for the most liberating aspect of our freedom. Because of these qualities, I can tell you with certainty that it's going to be okay. That it's going to be okay. I have known emotional and spiritual pain. I am well acquainted with physical pain. This world is aggressively sinful. You, we can't deny that. It's aggressively sinful. The pressures and pain caused by this world could lead us to being crushed and just be sorrowful, to be all gloomy and think everything is just negative. But the peace and the joy that we have in Christ Jesus, it sees so much more. Sometimes the most joyful Christians I've ever met have been the ones that have known the most pain, have been the ones that have carried the heaviest loads because they understand the power of our God to carry it for us. The peace and the joy that we have in Jesus being free from this world, we're free from the, the torment of thinking that what we see, feel, and hear is what we have to endure, and it's the end. How difficult it would be to have a smile to any degree in this world if there was not so much more beyond the power of the peace that we have. We're able to face this world and all it has to offer with a smile to some degree within our soul. 
because our citizenship is in heaven. That's it. Our citizenship is in heaven. Whatever we face, we understand that we are nothing more than people traveling through this life awaiting a Savior to lift us and have us entirely present in the kingdom in which our citizenship lies. Now, this is something that the world cannot understand because we don't fully understand it. We experience it, we have it, we enjoy it, but we don't even fully understand it because the, the joy, the peace that God offers to his people, it surpasses understanding. It simply, it grounds us and it allows us to walk with our Jesus through any storm. To be able to look beyond the difficulty that's currently happening and see the beauty of heaven waiting for us and the power of our God that's able to be demonstrated through pain and struggle. This is something that the world can't understand, but it allows us to walk boldly in the freedom that we have in Christ. Patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Clump those together. And you could have a sermon on each one of these if you tried to parse it down. How you speak to your spouse shows the degree of goodness and self-control you have. How you speak about your spouse shows the degree of goodness and self-control you have. How you engage your children when you are upset, when they've done something wrong, that shows a degree of self-control and goodness that you have within you. You know, I think it would be helpful for, for spiritual growth if all Christians at some point worked in either the retail or the food industry to learn some patience with other people. That's not, not an, even my point, though you, you could learn it quite well. The blanket view of Christians in the retail and the food industry is that Christians are the most impatient and unkind rush that they'll have throughout the entire week. Any place I've been that I've worked, any place I've encountered, friends that I've had in those places, it is the overarching view that they dread to see Christians enter their facilities, whatever it may be, because they are generally the most impatient and the most unkind to servers, to retail workers. Now, obviously that goes without saying that that cannot be a blanket statement. Not, there is zero accusation in that. But that is the uh, the view of Christians coming into the public eye. How sad it is that there is ever a view of the people of Jesus being unkind and mistreating people. How you treat your server after you leave worship service shows and is very telling of your pursuit of Jesus. How short your patience is shows your respect and your appreciation for the patience that God has with you. My, if it were not for the patience that God has shown me, the places 
I would be, the depths of darkness I would be right now, and how hell-bound I would be if it were not for the patience that God has shown me. It is my duty as a Christian to be able to demonstrate patience and treat others how God has treated and dealt with me. Being a kind person, you are going to have a servant heart. You are going to actively pursue serving other people. Again, these are not actions. These are not things that you are, a, your daily acts of kindness. These are, this is not a checklist of any sort. Again, the way I read this is it's actions versus qualities. These are innate qualities that God expects the person who is born again, who is a new creation in Jesus, qualities for them to have. That is second nature, if you will. It just becomes our self in our daily life. Justice comes to mind here as well. It it goes to the verse I had a scripture reading. How God deals justly with people. He will deal justly with those who do not obey him. He has promised in Romans chapter 12 that he is going to deal justly with those who mistreat his people. We don't have an opportunity, we don't have the right to take out vengeance on people because God is going to take care of his people. Micah 6, 8, as was read, is one of the many places that calls us to invoke God's nature in how we live to deal justly with those around us, to pursue justice for others in how we treat them, how we see them, how we lift them up. You're going to have a level of goodness. You're going to have a level of kindness. In a servant's heart, you are going to care about justice. Now, there there was an incident a couple days ago where I found an opportunity afterwards reflecting back that I need to grow in my ability to express kindness and pursue justice for others. I've noticed that the holidays bring out the worst in people. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but 4th of July, I was at Meyer. I chose the wrong day to just go grab like a case of water. I didn't need any fireworks. I just needed to go grab a couple things. I was at Meyer at the wrong time. Self-checkouts, there were two lines going down. Line was very long people behind me, there were two people behind me, they thought that our line was the only one to go into both checkout lines. And a lady, there was a line on the other side, a lady, maybe in her 60s, lady went up to the register next, two people behind me starts yelling at her, saying, oh no, we've been waiting a long time. We've been waiting our turn. It's our turn to go next. And she said, oh, well, there, there was a line over here too. Like, oh, no, there wasn't. The line's over here. We're next. Going at it, and I I just, I stood there. It would have been easy, it should have been easy, for me to politely tell those people that I saw that there was a line there and that she did not deserve that. You walk justly before your God. You deal justly with the people around you. You are to have a sense of kindness and goodness about you that just automatically flows out of you because the Spirit influences you. Because there is a fruitfulness to you following after Jesus, there is much to be said about who you are and who you should be.
and faithfulness. My faithfulness. Jesus was faithful to the utmost. He was faithful to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did not stop in God's plan and his obedience to him to question how far he was willing to go to be faithful to God. Faithfulness was an innate quality of who he was. He was entirely faithful to his God and overflowed to all of who he was, being faithful in all of his relationships that he had in his close circles, being faithful to the ones he encountered who were lost in their sin and being able to embrace them in the way they should have been. He was able to be faithful in all accounts to sinners, being able to teach them how they need to be taught, but doing it in a loving way. You see how all these qualities are to be who we are. He lovingly sat with sinners in a way that they knew where he stood, but they were not scared or intimidated by his religious demeanor. He loved them while being faithful to God and to them and who he was supposed to be to them. If God has presented the Spirit to us as a gift through our salvation, as we've noted, then we need to walk by the Spirit and have the qualities his influence has in our lives. If you have been set free from the chains of this world, if Jesus has given you freedom from sin, you'd better act like it. There had better been, be evidence that you have been set free. If you act like the world, you speak and you act like the world unapologetically, it's not something you're working on, it's not something that you know you need to grow out of, or you will learn better and you will grow out of it eventually. You unapologetically speak and act like the world. You're back in prison. If there is not evidence, your faith has to be proven by your works. There, for faith to be alive, for you to be faithful to God and hold up your end of the deal of this purchase agreement. He paid your ransom and your agreement is to follow after him and to be like him. If we are unwilling to be like Jesus, we have forfeited our side of the deal and we are back in prison. If you say, oh, that's just who I am, you are forfeiting the freedom that has been accredited to you to not be just who you are. We should be ones who say, that's who my Jesus is. When we engage this life, when we are interacting with other people and they say, how is it that you are so patient in this circumstance? When they say, how are you so patient with such a person as this. You're able to be kind to someone who's already mistreated you? Why, why, are you, why are you doing this? Why are you putting yourself through such self-deprecating, what would seem as such self-deprecating behavior, of putting yourself down, any sense of meekness someone would challenge, and you say, that's who my Jesus is. You have been transformed because you have been set free from the chains of sin. If you don't act like you've been set free, you're likely not free anymore. 
The whole point of Christianity, the whole point of God's love, the whole point of him coming to pay that ransom price is so that we could be transformed to be like him, to not have to be like this world and be prepared for a future in heaven with him. That is his goal. Now, I leave you with the remarks Paul makes at the end of this letter. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. If you are still in the chains and the imprisonment of sin and this world, our Savior Jesus can set you free. He's paid your ransom and he can walk you out of the spiritual jail cell. He can set you free. If you are a Christian and you've gone back into captivity, you've decided to leave the freedom that Jesus has given you, the citizenship, the freedom that lies in that citizenship, you've decided to betray it and walk away from it. There can be renewed freedom in him for you this night again so that no one can cause trouble for you so that this world cannot cause trouble for you because there is so much more when we are set free and we are free indeed. If you have a need this evening to pursue the freedom in Christ for the first time or to pursue it again, come let our elders know this evening so we can help you this night. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.